looking at me from the outside may not demonstrate itself. However, knowing inside who I really am, I can't be perfect before the Lord, but I can go to the Lord with all of my imperfections. Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona welcomes you to another season of our podcast, Taste and See. This time we're talking about contemplation into the silent land. All right, welcome everyone to the Taste and See podcast, a podcast of the Spiritual Formation Society, and we are in season five. And in season five, we are uh, walking through uh, a book by Martin Laird called Into the Silent Land. And actually today, we're going to be looking at chapters five and chapter six as one long episode that we're probably going to cut in half at the end of the day. So just know that uh, chapter five on distractions, chapter six, which kind of really drills down more specifically in the area of distractions, we're going to bleed into as well. And I am here uh, uh, with my good friend and co-host over these last years, Gray Ewing. Gray, good to be together. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Gray Ewing. And uh, as always, I'm the pastor at Ascension Church and co-host of the podcast, with Ted. Yeah, and I'm Ted Wiesty. I think I didn't introduce myself, did I? Um, but that's okay. And um, as we've been doing on this season, we um, have guests every time. And today, we are honored to have with us uh, Mr. Michael Donnelly. Hello, everyone. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks, Ted, for the invite. And Gray, also. Thank you. Glad to have you. Yeah. Well, Michael, um, Michael's been a good friend. We were just driving over here to record the podcast, and we first met uh, a little over 11 years ago. Um, We're coming into our 12th year of friendship and um, been doing ministry together for quite a few years, and uh, about three and a half years ago or so, Michael came on the staff team with the Spiritual Formation Society. Um, He's a spiritual director and, and also does a lot in the area of soul care and pastoral counseling with um, individuals and, and couples and families, really, um, all across the board. So um, anything else you want uh, people to know about your, your story, your bio? I got a few other things, but I want to see what you want to put no, out there. No, it'll come out as it does we talk. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, I would be remiss in not saying that one of the best things about Michael is his wife, Tony. Exactly. Um, or as I call her, <laughs> Mrs. D. Mrs. D is great. And a lot of you who are listening to this know Tony Donnelly. And uh, so, Michael, it's great um, great to be with you. Great to be here. Yeah. And we've met once in passing, uh, Michael, but glad to spend some more intentional time with you. And as Ted mentioned, uh, this is five and six together. But really, you, you know, we could go back four, five, and six, right? He's, he's been talking about distraction, the doors that we've got to open. And now he's going to talk about the riddles of distraction. And then, you know, he's going to drill down even further. So this, this whole section of the book, if you're reading along with us, 
is kind of a unity, and so it's kind of hard to know where to even uh, cut off the discussion. But we're going to do our best today. Per the usual, we are drinking a hot beverage together because this is the hot beverage season. I think we started out saying the coffee we season. We started saying coffee, but yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. we don't have coffee in front of us today. We have something else. I'm going to let Ted talk about it. Okay. So um, Michael has stopped drinking coffee, right? Yes. As of a few months yeah, ago, a few something months like that. Um, and so tea was yes. the idea. And so um, Starbucks has a thing called a London Fog. And it's Earl Grey tea and whatever kind of steamed milk and a few shots of vanilla syrup. And so that's what we're going to be drinking today. And here in a second, we'll take a break and we'll enjoy our beverage and let you know if we give it one, two, three, or eight stars. It, right. it already smells delicious. It does smell very good. <laughs> it smells we're, delicious. We're going to go into the, into the London fog for a few minutes and, and emerge on the other side. Talk right. to Michael. We'll be right back. Thank you for joining us on the Taste and See podcast, a podcast of the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona. Our vision for the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona is to create space for leaders and learners to grow in deeping intimacy with God. Check out sfsaz.org for more information and resources, and consider joining us at an upcoming event. Now back to the podcast. back friends so we got to give our first impressions of the London fog drink that we just had and uh, well I'll go first since I started talking um, I thought a little heavy on the on the vanilla for, for my preference but other than that I really enjoyed it yeah okay All yeah right. I like milk tea tea with milk yeah it's good yeah so the steamed milk with the Earl Grey and three shots of vanilla. Or okay. Three pumps. I'd go one I and think. a half. One and a half. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's my perfect London fog. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, let's let the uh, senator from New York give his opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well, being from the East Coast and I'm extremely Irish, um, my family of origin didn't particularly care for it. Milk and tea just it just it, it watered down the tea. I wanted more tea flavor. Ah. I got vanilla, a lot of that. <laughs> it's good, but I wasn't drinking vanilla. I was drinking tea. So yeah. I like tea. Understand. Okay. Yeah, I, I like it. I like it. You're going all in. Um, I would I would do this again. Mm -hmm. I would. Yeah, it's a nice change up. It, it reminds me of a chai tea latte, mm -hmm. you know. I, I mean, because of course, um, very similar. So I feel like it's, it, it's like a lighter chai tea. Mm-hmm latte kind of thing mm -hmm. but yeah I'm a fan and and unlike you Michael I, I love uh, milk yeah. in my in my tea and in fact I was telling these guys in the break that um, I really learned to enjoy uh, that and what I thought was milk was actually heavy cream yeah. and uh, so yeah of course I liked it I mean who wouldn't who wouldn't like heavy cream with tea <laughs> it was so good <laughs> But anyway, All right, so three, another story three for another time. Three different takes. I like that. So me, I'm, I'm on the fence a little bit because I want less vanilla, but I'm getting a, a strong no, but he's just too kind to say it uh, from, from Michael. <laughs> and then 
And then, uh, heck yes, uh, from our, our fearless leader here, Ted. I'll do it. So. I'll do it again. <laughs> Sorry, Listeners, Michael. No can, worries. He's, he's our guest, and we give him a drink, he doesn't like it. No. I'm good. That's right. I think he'll survive. Yeah, uh, I will. <laughs> all right. So to dive into chapter five, I feel like we almost need to, to look back just a second to chapter four, because as I mentioned at the, at the start here, four, five, and six are kind of of a piece. And if you remember in the last chapter... He talked about doorways into prayer, and uh, it's somewhat of an artificial way of talking about it, right? Because there aren't actual doorways when you start to pray, right? But what he means is these entry points that we have in terms of our uh, experience of God in silence. And if you if you spend some time in silence, I think you will know what he means, even if you don't, if you describe it a little differently, or you have some different ways of entering through those areas. I think you can get what he means, right? There's kind of a there's different layers of silence. And, uh, and so he takes that a little further in this chapter, and he talks about these uh, doorways having particular riddles, uh, which are uh, things that we need to unlock even to go through those doorways. But maybe it'd be helpful to start out with this whole idea of, of doorway in general. Anything else need to be said yeah, about well, that? Yeah, I, well, I, I think it's, it, it is great for us to be doing this all together and kind of lump this together because in so many ways when we think about uh, contemplative prayer and the prayer of quiet and silence before God, there's a deep simplicity to it mm-hmm. such that you don't really need to write a whole book about it except for the fact or except for the idea of getting into the nuances and, and giving some discernment of what's happening as you're doing that. So as we're getting into these things, it's not that like the doorways, okay, I've got to do something to get through this doorway, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's more uh, as you continue and persist in this practice, this is something that's going to change. You're going to notice this. Your experience will might change a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And so then as we get into this chapter on distractions, it's basically saying it's giving some discernment on what are the three questions or the three riddles, I think is how he says it, that are answered as you pass through each doorway or as you, maybe another way to say it, as you go deeper into this experience of, of prayer? That's important, I think, to say. It's not like he's giving us a code to unlock prayer and now you know exactly what prayer is. He's more just describing the experience of prayer, which I think is helpful. Yeah, Prayer can be, for me, a riddle in and of itself. Um, my experience of prayer, the, the riddle is, is, am I going to prayer to hear from the Lord? Am I going to prayer to ask for something? Am I going to prayer with both of those? Am I going to prayer with distraction? Uh, how do I get to a place inside of my own heart where there's a there's a a stillness with the anticipation at the same time there's a tension um, there's a hope um, and I, I like the ideas of the author with the riddles and Ted if you could remind us of those three riddles yeah well I think the so the three riddles so to speak the first one is um, are you your thoughts and feelings? In other words, is your identity, uh, your self-perception, 
your understanding of who you are linked to thoughts and feelings or are your thoughts and feelings something separate? And then uh, secondly, the second riddle, so to speak, is uh, the, the ability to name what's going on rather than provide commentary. Um, that's kind of that second shift, that second doorway. And then um, uh, the third one, this is what really then gets into the next chapter. Chapter six is uh, to no longer be a victim, but a witness. Yeah, and it's all three of those are uh, ways of dealing with distraction, right? I mean, that's that's kind of and and you know you talk to anyone about their prayer life if they have done that, you know, made any attempt at a prayer life before. It's very common to identify distractions as the enemy, right? So, and distractions are the enemy, and we got to get rid of distraction. I just get so distracted in prayer. These are the things that we say, right, about prayer. And I like how, really over the whole few chapters here, what he does is he turns that a little bit on its head. And he says, these distractions are not enemies to be gotten rid of. In fact, I think that's almost an exact quote, right? Right. Um, He says, here's where we make our mistake, where we start to, to pray and we say, I've got to get rid of all these things so that I can pray. He actually says, in a more nuanced way, what we need to do is not view the distractions as the enemy, but as the pathway in, right? I think uh, he quotes uh, Simone Whale at one point and says, you know, we'll probably get to that. The great quote about the two prisoners who are, who share a wall um, and these two prisoners are communicating by knocking on the wall. And, uh, and then she, you know, makes the observation that the wall is both what separates them and also their means of communication. So you can, you can think of it as a separation if you want to, right? But you can also think of it as the means by which they could have any kind of communication at all. Similarly, in prayer and in the silence where we meet God, the distractions are actually, we actually can kind of piggyback onto the distractions to find our way to the Lord, right? Because he um, he's meeting us in those things. So rather than think of them as the enemy, think of them as almost uh, a way in. There's this subject-object piece that keeps coming to mind where... I am the subject in my, my thoughts and feelings was the first part of the riddle. Um, if I was to say I am my thoughts and feelings, um, I can take away some power from them and at the same time not take away power. There's this tension that exists for me where I want to be okay with being lost, with being found, with being happy. However, there's been a great deal of commentary in life that, like, you're too much to calm down. Or you you seem gloomy and and someone else is giving an opinion of what they see, which can become a distraction, even in the quiet. Mm. Um, I'm listening to the echoes of people's voices, and am I praying correctly? Mm. And I think the author talks about that critique of, I want to do prayer perfectly. Um, I don't necessarily think that perfect prayer is what the Lord is looking for. I think he's looking for a heart that wants to connect and dispose of all of those things that stand in our way. What I'm hearing you say is that 
it's the things that people say, but it's also my own, <laughs> my own commentary on like, I mm-hmm. need to be better at prayer or I need to whatever. And all of these things, even in kind of weird and conniving ways, our mind can do this, can become what he calls a, this movie or this distraction it's mm-hmm. another another layer of the movie another where we are trying mm-hmm. to like figure something out um, and and the remedy the simple remedy is turn back to silence right it's a, it's a simple thing to go back to the silence but it gets more and more complex the more you see your own heart and mind and hear other voices but the remedy is always simple right it's that return back to silence which the author talks about is not being so easy for some when they begin contemplation or meditation, as they become exposed to their heart and they become afraid of what they see, which I've experienced and I, I understand uh, coming face to face with all of the sin in my heart that's unseen, the, the envy, the lust, the greed, all of those things that exist in there that f- looking at me from the outside may not demonstrate itself. However, knowing inside who I really am, I can't be perfect before the Lord, but I can go to the Lord with all of my imperfection. And to abide in Him is to let go of my idea of perfection and to exist within His reality of perfection. You know, as I think about that question of Distraction and specifically that first uh, riddle, are you your thoughts and feelings? Uh, yesterday afternoon I was driving. There's some things going on that had me a little agitated. <laughs> Might be the best way to say it. And, and I'm just driving by myself down the road. I'm probably about 15 minutes till I, till I get home. And, and I just find myself starting to uh, give commentary on the fact that I was feeling agitated. And I'd just been reading through this chapter again, (laughs) and I I became very aware then of what was happening. And I was able to just stop and say, okay, I'm feeling agitation. I'm also tired. I wonder how that's connected. Mm -hmm. And, And I was able to start wondering but it's, it's, and I think we've talked about this before, it's, it's just even interesting how in the English language we say things like that, like, I am this, I, rather than I feel agitated, mm-hmm. or I'm experiencing mm-hmm. something. And, and it seems to me that part of that distraction that can get us in trouble is where we start thinking, I am this, I am that, I am. And, and part of the detachment starts to happen where we can then get into some of the other development or unraveling of distractions, we then can become a witness to what's happening and being curious about it. Yeah, and that's that's the work, right? That's the work of prayer in a sense. It almost reminded me a little bit of the way he was talking about entering into prayer and finding the distractions um, and, and, and pursuing through the distractions actually gives you that that silence or that reward on the other side, right? It almost reminded me of what C.S. Lewis said about temptation. He said, you know, the longer you sit with temptation, the stronger you get. You don't know how strong you are until you are actually tempted. And there's a similar sense in which he says, you don't actually know, you know, how close you are to the Lord until you push through some of those, some of that commentary, some of that distraction that's coming to you and say, 
you know what, this is coming at me, but I don't have to receive it as my identity or something like that. It's something that is happening around me, as he's fond of pointing out, we are the mountain, right? And the weather happens to the mountain, the mountain stays, right? So the more that we can say, I am different than these things that are happening to me, uh, the stronger we get and actually the less hold those distractions have on us. Yeah, so it's not about getting rid of distractions. <laughs> it's, it's about interacting with them mm-hmm. in a different way that leads us deeper into awareness and, and presence with God. And I think it's part of, you know, language creates our culture and, and language preserves our culture, whether the culture, especially the culture inside of us. You know, we are the sum total of everything we've been through. And oftentimes, I, we have this good and bad idea. I, my prayer is good, my prayer is bad. This is this good and bad. As you were talking, Ted, as you were going down the road, and how is tired linked into my agitation? Well, if I'm tired, my agitation is going to be a little bit more magnified. So instead of it being good or bad, it's expected. And then there is a way of looking at things as unexpected. Um, I'm completely blind. I, I guess maybe I should have said that earlier. Um, well, we were going to get to that. But <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> so, and you're uh, not talking like a metaphor. Right? I'm not talking a metaphor. I have no eyes. <laughs> so there's no question. Yeah. Uh, um, and and uh, this has been a, uh, an event over time. Um, and on November 7th of this past year, they took out my left eye, which the doctors asked me, why did you wait so long? The reason of waiting so long was because I expected myself to push through. And I expected myself to be able to navigate. And I was constantly in this prayer with the Lord of, just give me the strength to go through. (laughs) That wasn't his plan. His plan was... Michael, accept what blindness will be. Don't be afraid. And so as a, as a person who's now experienced what blindness is, it's quite different than what I actually thought. And it's quite different because some of the people I spoke to said, well, this is my experience. And as the doc said, you know, Michael, your, your eye gathers the information and organizes it and sends it to the brain. And your brain sees. Your eye doesn't see. It's your brain that sees, which completely turns things around. And so applying that to um, these chapters in the book of um, distraction, I, I tease people and I say, well, I'm no longer distracted by reading. I'm no longer distracted by sight, yet I still have a whole menagerie of things going on, which is really quite fun. Um, and to think in terms of, am I thought, am I my thoughts or feelings or on the evening that, um, I was crying out to the Lord. It was, we had already made the decision. I was like, okay, God, I'm really going to be blind now. Okay. Like, what are you going to do? You know, are you going to be faithful? I, I said those words and, and, and I didn't have any kind of peace. I went to bed and, and, and I was still struggling. And I struggled for a couple of days. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of playing with my dog, Seamus, um, 
I got this absolute sense of, yep, it's the right time. We've made the right decision. I'll be there. Go through with it. And uh, the day of surgery, I had, my blood pressure was 185 over 100. So I wasn't that calm, but I was focused. Mm-hmm. Focused on being prepared, not for blindness, but prepared to be prepared. And that was a gift from the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as I see prayer and I just see distraction and I see wanting to find a place of stillness, um, the distraction, as you just said, Ted, isn't bad. It just is. And it can be like a cloud. I don't have to grab it. I can just let it go past. It's sort of like what I experience now. Um, things that are going on, I, I, I kind of live in this place where there's, it's totally lit. Everything is lighted up and there's not, it's light that doesn't illuminate anything. And at the same time, I'm sort of inside an aquarium most of the time. I see all these wonderful little fish and things. And what is my mind doing? It's making sense out of the data it's getting. I must like fish. <laughs> I must like aquariums. Uh, I, I must like the peace and the stillness of water. But the thing that has really been a complete comfort is the light inside of it. He is, he is the light. And so I was telling Ted, I said, Seamus woke me up at 12.30 and Jesus woke me up at 1 o'clock and he turned the lights on and <laughs> we started to chat. Uh, it's a real thing. I wouldn't suggest anyone go blind to experience this, but I would say that it must be possible at some level for us to be able to just be and not be and be okay with being distracted at the same time. Mm-hmm. God is either everywhere or is nothing, nowhere. Um, he's in the distraction. Um, as the author talks later, um, he begins to talk about how each of the people experiencing pain, or each of the people experiencing fear, it, the, the nun experiencing fear, the young man with his addiction and the constant cravings, um, and the Elizabeth who's dying. Um, they're present. The feeling I get is that inside what they're doing is a prayer in which they're saying and experiencing, which isn't takes away the subject object. It just creates this place of being present, even to the distraction, without judging the distraction. We want to say thank you, friends, for joining us for this two-part conversation on chapters 5 and 6 of Into the Silent Land, and we're going to continue this conversation next time. Meanwhile, you can check out our website, sfsaz.org, if you're looking for a spiritual director or you want to join us for an upcoming event.